Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're feeling happy, healthy, and safe. There's a lot happening today, so let's get right at it. Later, we'll get to know multi-hyphenate Kevin Smith. He's a filmmaker, an actor, comedian, comic book writer, author, and podcaster, and I'm sure I've left a couple of things out on that list. You know his movies like Clerks, Dogma, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Now he adds another hyphen to his resume, Documentary Subject. The documentary film Clerk, now on VOD, touches on every aspect of his work, from the film that put him on the map to the Viewisk universe, to his health problems and a newfound self-awareness. We'll also talk to Andy Garcia about the scene that made him a movie star, the Odessa step sequence in The Untouchables. You'll want to hear that story, it's really great. First, though, let's meet award-winning Quebec filmmaker Stéphane Lafleur. His new film, Viking, was a selection in Canada's Top 10 and is available now wherever you legally download movies online. In the film, the Viking Society is recruiting volunteers for the first manned mission to Mars. The goal is to form a B-team that will mirror the mission here on Earth in order to find solutions to the interpersonal problems that the Mars-bound crew is likely to experience. Stéphane Lefleur joined me to talk about Viking via Zoom. The inspiration uh, for the film, from what I understand, came from a photograph by Vincent Fournier that you saw 12 or 13 years ago. What was the photograph and what was it about it that sparked your imagination? Uh, th those uh, pictures were um, uh, astronauts in, in the desert, actually. And, and so the, the basic idea was maybe I can do a kind of sci-fi movies with just a, a suit, with just a helmet, with just a costume. It was just a human being in a suit in a desert, and suddenly it looked like you were somewhere somewhere else. And um, but then I wanted to find an idea that was consequent with the fact that I wouldn't have the budget of Dune, you know. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to find an idea of yeah, using the codes of sci-fi, but not doing the sci-fi you expect in a way sci-fi i suppose based more on ideas than laser guns and spaceships and all that sort of thing exactly it's a it's a film pretending to be a sci-fi movie it's not a sci-fi movie <laughs> <laughs> just like the people are pretending in the film well 2001 a space odyssey appears to be an influence here are there any other stories that uh perhaps inspired you while you were crafting viking uh either you know uh on the page as you were writing it or uh as a director well when i saw the 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 pictures of uh, the photographs of vincent fournier i um i did some researches and uh, i realized that those these people were actually a member of a group. Uh, it's called Mars Society. That it's people pretending to be on Mars mm -hmm. in the Utah desert. So at the beginning, the story was supposed to be about a guy uh, joining this this kind of group. Uh, I like the idea of people pretending. Uh, I thought it was a good a good uh, starting point to to build the the, the screenplay. Yeah. And the idea of, of being inspired by this photograph or the series of photographs that you saw, are you often gathering little snippets of ideas as you are, I don't know, at a museum, out for dinner or whatever it might be? Are you constantly kind of bombarded with ideas? 
Well, usually, usually the the first sparkle of a, of a, the next film comes with something that you didn't expect. It's something that sticks in your mind. You know, the, the, these pictures uh, were in my mind for several years before I started writing the movie. So at, at some point, you want to get rid of <laughs> these images that are <laughs> that are in your head, and the only way to do it is do the film. You know, so that's what I did with Viking. Now, there's a line in the movie uh, where the main character talks about wanting to to do this mission because he he really wants to make a difference. Can you tell me about uh, developing the motivation for the characters uh, in the film as you were uh, creating the story? Uh, this all aspect, I, I I wrote the first draft of the film myself by myself. And then I was joined by my friend Eric Caboulian, who is the co-writer of the film. Uh, and it was clear that something was missing in, in my first draft. And, mm -hmm. and so we crafted the character of David that so he, he could have a, a, a real dramatic arc and something that we could follow and, and we could could um, embark on this mission with him and uh, hope that he will make a difference. We I think we all want in a way to make a difference or leave something behind, you know, but at least it's something uh, everyone thinks about at some point in their life. Should I or sh is it important to leave a trace behind, you know, maybe it's not, you know, so that's that's a little bit what the film is about. Yeah, people thinking of their legacy and and what they're leaving behind. Exactly. What do you do with the time that is given to you? Mm -hmm. Well, David's an interesting character because uh, I think that he realizes that uh, there is this idea that if you want to go to space that badly, there's a, it's almost, it's a suicide mission, ultimately, <laughs> I think. And so, uh, you know, he doesn't uh, come up and have that kind of romantic view that so often we see in space travel movies where we're exploring new worlds and we're going to, to find the, the wondrousness of, of, you know, what else is out there. He comes to realize, well, no, this is a life ending thing. And that was an, I, I think it's an interesting take. Yeah. Well, well, he, you know, he, he... He always we we think he always dreamed of, of going into space. He was not able to do it for reasons that we don't really know. And mm -hmm. then he takes this opportunity to get closer from his dream, and and it's like a, a second chance for him to uh, to to be as close as possible, and again make a difference. You're listening to Stefan Lefleur on the Richard Krauss Show. His film Viking is available on iTunes and wherever else you legally find movies online. Another inspiration for the film was at the, uh, a few years ago, uh, you probably um, hear about it, uh, the Mars One uh, project who was recruiting people to to send them on the, mm. to build the first colony on Mars. And, and I was really interested of who's, who was signing for this, you know, because they were recruiting you, any, anyone could apply, you know. So I started watching films about people that some of them were parents that had kids and 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 they were they were ready to leave earth and go one way ticket to mars and and in to make a difference to make them to 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 participate to this thing bigger than their own life you know so there was something really intriguing for me in 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 this in this subject this matter it's funny how sometimes things 
kind of hit the zeitgeist. Uh, uh, people have the same idea at the same time, or roughly the same idea at the same time. There's a new film called Space Oddity uh, that's out now by Kira Sedgwick, which is about a young man that wants to go to Mars uh, for various reasons. There's a, a, a troubling backstory that he has, uh, and then he feels that uh, the Earth is dying and he wants to get out of there. And he comes to realize that there's beauty here and why not stay here and make a difference rather than than go up into the to the sky. Um, and I saw your film uh, at the Victoria Film Festival a few months ago, and I was just struck by how uh, there was so much talk of uh, Mars exploration now and uh, how interesting it is that this is such a, a unique take on it and and something that felt different than anything else that I've that I've read or seen about this. So um, did the this this talk of Mars exploration um, uh, inspire you or did you think, oh, here we go. Now everyone's going to do this. It's it's a dangerous uh, terrain when you you start writing a film about uh, a subject like Mars because things move really fast and <laughs> it's in you know as you said there's a lot of films made so that that's why we tried to find a twist and an angle that was hard to believe that someone would do the same thing but uh, the funny thing is that Nathan Fielder uh, released the rehearsal at the same time we, we released the right. film which is a, a TV show about rehearsing yeah. your own life you know and and for me it's close uh, probably Viking is closer from the rehearsal than <laughs> from any sci-fi movie you know what I mean yeah. it's, it's like it's more about trying to make things perfect or trying to be in in our case trying to be someone else and i think it's there's a lot of that in social medias right now you could see viking as a metaphorical uh, way of speaking about social medias and the, the two lives that people are building for themselves the one that they've got online and the mm. one they've, they've got with their friends in the the everyday life so these were we didn't start with with a, a precise subject. We want to talk about this or talk about this. We we had the concept and and but I can see um, all this the sub subjects the film has as in 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 him in it in it. <laughs> it's been eight years since your last film uh, that premiered at the director's fortnight at the Cannes Film Festival. I know you're an editor, you do lots of other things. Uh, it, does that kind of um, runway, I guess, give you time to really sink into every aspect of this film? Do you prefer having a long time to mull over and think about a project like uh, Viking? Um, yeah, there's several reasons why this project took so long, but... Uh... Hopefully the next one will come faster than this. I I I, I thought it was a long uh, a long pause. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, congratulations on the film and thank you very much uh, for uh, spending some time with me today. Thank you so much. That was Stefan Lefleur on the Richard Krauss Show. His film Viking is available on iTunes and wherever else you legally find movies online. Just make sure it's legal today. In this segment, we talk about. My favorite Andy Garcia movie, The Untouchables. Set in the Prohibition era in the United States, Kevin Costner plays federal agent Elliot Ness. 
he assembles a small, hand-picked team to stop ruthless Chicago gangster Al Capone. The movie co-stars Sean Connery as the veteran Irish-American officer Jim Malone and Charles Martin Smith as the accountant Oscar Wallace. Rounding out The Untouchables is Andy Garcia. Now, at first, director Brian De Palma wanted Garcia to play Al Capone's sadistic henchman Frank Nitti, but fearing being typecast as a gangster, Garcia campaigned for the role of George Stone, the Italian cop who gets accepted into Elliot Ness's famous band of lawmen because of his marksmanship and integrity. In the film's most famous scene, a standoff at Chicago's Union Station, Elliot Ness and George Stone are there to arrest a mob accountant who holds evidence that could put Capone in prison. Under a ticking clock, the action focuses on the railway station steps as the accountant is held hostage by one of Capone's men and a young mother with a baby in a carriage gets involved in the action. At the climax of the scene, the mom loses control of the baby carriage and it careens down the stairs as bullets fly. That's where Andy Garcia became a movie star. We'll talk about that in just a sec. The whole scene is an homage to the Odessa Steps montage in Sergei Eisenstein's famous 1925 silent movie Battleship Potemkin. It is a showstopper, but Andy Garcia tells me it was originally meant to be a much different scene. Here's Andy Garcia. You know, Brian does storyboards. So when I first got to The Untouchables to Chicago, he took me in his office and he had the, the entire movie storyboarded uh, in little index cards. And it was just his, him like stick figures. You know, it was like he understood it more than anybody else looking at it. You know? <laughs> but he had it all there and he kind of worked me through, you know, what was going down. But I don't remember if we were already scheduled to shoot the thing in the train station. Because the original, if I remember correctly, the original material had the thing actually on a train, right. a moving train. And then that was very difficult for production and this and that. And that is, if I remember correctly, Brian, you know, told the studio, said, well, give me the, uh, the train, the steps at the train station. And if you can give me that, I'll design a, a, a sequence around as an homage to the you know, the Odessa steps, I think they were called in, in Battleship Potemkin. And uh, and then, though, of course, he had those storyboarded and he had me and Kevin coming in. And I remember coming in and there was two double uh, turning doors. What do they yeah. call them? Turnstiles. Turnstiles. Yeah. There were two coming into the, into the uh, train station on the top floor because then you walk down the steps to where the trains go. He said, oh, have you and Kevin come in through here? And I said to Brian, I said, well, why don't we, you know, would it not be better if we both come in simultaneously as a reveal through the turnstiles together? And then he said, oh, yeah, let's do that. And then we went down and then he took us through the whole the whole sequence and he started to pick at it. And then finally, we got to the thing where I had to save, you know, save the carriage. You're listening to Andy Garcia on The Richard Krause Show. We're talking about the famous Union Station scene in the classic film, The Untouchables. For more Andy Garcia, check out Big Gold Brick, now on VOD. I was I was on the street having a cigarette. I used to smoke in those days. And and they called me in and, and the, the stunt coordinator and Brian and the, the baby carriage was at the fat, you know, at the last steps. Yeah. And he said, okay, Andy, you're going to have, and we want you to come in here. And what would you do? What would you think you would do if you would come in here and toss one of your guns to, to Kevin 
and somehow stop the carriage from crashing. I already had, they already had shot me turning around up there and, you know, coming down the hallway and stuff. So it was going to be like this surprise. So it was a marble uh, floor, uh, terrazzo, actually, I think, if I remember correctly. And I had wool pants on. And I, I said to myself, well, I used to play baseball. And I think I knew those pants would slide on that floor. And I said, I could just come in and do like a throw the throw the gun and do like a little hook slide underneath the uh, thing. They said, uh, OK, can you can you show us that? Uh, and I said, yeah. So you say, OK, on the count of three, you know, let go of the thing. And I was of the baby carriage as it comes yeah, down. Yeah, it was like two steps and I was 10 steps away. It was going to be, you know, the frame, you know. And uh, he said, one, two, three, we walked. They let go and I slid and I threw the gun and got underneath the carriage and then pointed the gun at the, the guy and Brian. That was the rehearsal. And Brian said, oh, great, let's do that. You know? <laughs> and, then, uh, and, then, uh, and then we did, a, you know, maybe one or two takes, I forget. But that, that's, what, that's what happened for that moment. He had the idea that I would come in and we just hadn't worked out the actual stunt, you know. <laughs> Stay there, he's all right. Shut up. I said, hold it! What the? See, I'm walking out with the bookkeeper, and the bookkeeper and me are driving away. See? Or else he dies. He dies, and you ain't got nothing. You got five seconds to make up your mind. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you want to know. Shut up! I'm not kidding, that crazy. You know what they're doing? I'll tell you what you want to know, for Christ's sake. You got him? Yeah, I got him. <laughs> One! Will you stop it? Take him. It is a perfect moment in a yeah. great movie. Like. It it was, I was, it was a great privilege to have that moment to, to exercise, you know, to, to be part of it. Also to pay off the character because <laughs> in the movie, you know, the, the, the untouchables is like, is the throwback to the seven samurai, you know, which then became yep. the magnificent seven and the dirty dozen and uh, Ocean's 11 and, you know, <laughs> wild bunch. There's a million movies really told with that format. One man gathers a group of specialists, to right the wrong, right? right. And, and Stone was the young sharpshooter. Uh, I remember going to dinner one night with Kevin in Chicago, and we were at a, sitting at like at a counter of one of the Chicago, like a bar and grill. We had ordered a beer and a couple of burgers. We we're sitting on the counter, you know, on the counter. And they had these old movies playing on, on, the, on the televisions. That was like the theme. And there was like a Buster Keaton movie or somebody. And or it's an old Western thing. They had this stunt man kind of climbing up the side of the thing and, and you know, doing this very acrobatic kind of monkey thing going to the top and then jumping off the thing and then on a horse. And then and I said to Kevin, I said, that's George Stone. Right. That's George Stone. And Kevin said, like, damn, you know, <laughs> you know, like say, yeah, man, that's him. You know, like you. You found him, you know, I said, that's the guy. I got to live up to that, you know, but that's what he brings to the, to the untouchables. You know? And so that moment 
very intelligently because the David Mammoth script really defined those characters and their functions. You know, it was a brilliant, lean, clean narrative in that movie. And that, mo that moment really paid off, uh, you know, why George Stone was part of that group. Perhaps the next time we'll talk about The Great Escape, because I know that's a movie that you love and uh, was one of the films that sort of pushed you yeah, into acting. And, and James Colburn really in that movie is the sort of George Stone character. He's the man with the, with the knife and his his introductory scene is not unlike the introductory scene of, of uh, you know, of George Stone in The Untouchables. Well, I think that's why The Untouchables works so well is because not only is it a great story in that, but it's a traditionally told, beautiful, old school. It's not old fashioned, but it's an old school uh, movie with great characters, great action, and you're on board with each and every character. So Exactly. Well defined. Thank you. That was Andy Garcia on The Richard Krause Show talking all about one of my favorite movies, The Untouchables. Love that movie. I don't know how many times I've seen it. Probably at least a few dozen times having watched the movie, but I bet you I've watched that Odessa step scene a few hundred times. I know it's a throwback to Eisenstein in the early days of cinema, but man, Brian De Palma reinterpreted interpreted it in such an exciting and cool way, I can't get enough of it. So thanks to Andy Garcia for telling us that story. Kevin Smith is a filmmaker, actor, comedian, comic book writer, author, and podcaster. You know his movies like Clerks, Dogma, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Now he adds another line on his resume documentary subject. The documentary Clerk, now on VOD, touches on every aspect of his work, from the film that put him on the map, to his health problems, and a newfound self-awareness. At a certain point, I gave up on Kevin Smith, filmmaker. Maybe it's because the critics were like, he's no filmmaker. I'm like, all right, they're right. But I got to a point where I'm like, I think I'm going to be so much more. I do actually think like he got where I wanted to be. Now I just want to be Kevin Smith. I want to be the Kevin Smithiest Kevin Smith I could be from now until the end of time because that's all they'll remember about me when I'm gone. Now I took away some life lessons from his life story and I asked him to tell me all about being the best version of yourself that you can be and much more in this interview done via Zoom. Here's Kevin Smith. The lesson that I learned is that you have to be the best you that you can be. Why did it take so long for you to realize that? What a great question. Because um, I've often wondered myself, because that's like happens in 2006, at which point I will, I was already in my career for like 12 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming up on, uh, well, I've now, clerks happened 28 years ago. So I'm now, uh, ha I'm past double that number. Right. Um, so that was it, it, not even the halfway point of my career. Um, the nearest I can figure, is film infantilizes you, right? Um, you make pretend for a living, that's your job. Mm -hmm. Like standing around going, uh, you're this guy and you're this girl and then you say this and you say this. That's what you do on the playground when you're a kid or when you're in your friend's backyard or your own backyard. And, you know, I've we've seen how this industry can infantilize people in an incredibly negative uh, way uh, and people take advantage of that and stuff it infantilized me in a, a way of like um, uh, you tell stories um, so you're special and I'm like yeah I feel special because I've now got a storytelling job but all that specialness can get ripped away 
once somebody tells you you did a bad job mm -hmm. and suddenly you're like uh, how, uh, you know and it took me 12 years to navigate that to navigate between head and heart and to grow to the understanding of like no matter what you do some people are going to like it some people are going to hate it don't worry like you know i spent so much time trying to second guess what will critics think you know what are they going to like and stuff like that and I, it took me a while to remember that's not how you started all this. Like, I didn't make clerks going like, what will the critics think? I made it just going like, I got to see it. I want to see what it looks like. And so I kind of found that again, you know, like I, I worked for a company, Miramax, that like pray, prized good reviews over everything, almost over a box office. So it became part of like, you know, I'm not going to say this in a negative way, but you were indoctrinated to be like, you know, us more than the mainstream movies, like without critics, like we're nothing. And so it just took a point, a long time to get to that point where I was like, look, I can't think about that. You know, it's not even like, oh, to hell with critics. It's more about like, I can't work for them and I can't work for the fans. Like, cause sometimes the fans like play you like an avatar, you know? And when you're doing the thing that they would have done if they were you, you're all good. But the moment you're like, well, I'm going to try this other thing. And they're like, no, why would you do that? Like, that's them going like, well, I wouldn't do that if I was you. And yeah. you're my guy that I play. So if you're not representing like me, like you always do, then who am I? And who are you at that point? So you you know that like, you know, interest is fleeting. You're only as good as the audience feels about the story you tell. And so I reached that point where I was like, the only thing that got me here was being me. I should really just think about that and for good or for bad. And that means maybe that I don't achieve the heights in my career that others can and do. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like that's not as important to me as, as doing my thing. You know, like I, people are always asking me like, you love these Marvel movies, man. Are you ever going to direct one? And I'm like, well, number one, they'd never let me, but number two, no, like that's, that's my my jam. I love to watch those. That's my fuel. That's how I get entertained. You're listening to Kevin Smith on The Richard Krause Show. Clerk, a documentary about his life and work, is on VOD right now. But, like, they got millions of talented people to make those movies. Ain't nobody, nobody <laughs> interested in making a Kevin Smith movie except Kevin Smith. And so if anyone's, if I don't do it, who the hell is going to do it? Why would I compete? in a field that I'm not good at when I could stand alone in a field of one and, and, and kind of like, I got to a place where I'm like, look, they can say what they want about the movie and whatnot, but like you could get to try. My, my goal was always to get to an unimpeachable position as an artist, which was never going to happen. There's always going to be, if, if it's a self-expression, you can definitely expect some people to express back to you that they don't like it and stuff. So in lieu of that, in lieu of just like all affection, you know, and in your mind, you look at other filmmakers and stuff. Like I always like, man, what is Steven Spielberg? Everybody loves him. It doesn't matter what he does. They all love it and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm like, is it quality? Is that's what I'm missing? Or is it like subject matter? Is it that okay. I'm just not interested in like telling a story that would appeal to everybody unless I could do it through a very narrow pathway that like some people don't want to go down like if you can make it through a kevin smith movie sometimes you find some like really cool things in it by the end 
But some people are like, look, life's too short and I'd rather make it through a good movie and stuff. So, I, you know, rather than play to those cats or try to win everybody over, I just realized like, I'm just gonna do me and, and let the chips fall where they may. And so far, so good. Like I'm not, I'm not as, uh, I guess I'm not as like well-respected as I would be if I did bigger movies or and they made more money at the box office. Um, and I'm certainly not as, as rich as I would be if I made movies like that. But oh my God, I'm so happy, Richard. Like I, I, I love being Kevin Smith and I love making Kevin Smith movies, man. Lately, I've been writing Kevin Smith comics and that is completely masturbatory because they're all about Kevin Smith movies. So it's just me like playing with my toys over and over. That's what Clerks 3 was, man. Yeah. We started this summer on my 51st birthday and it was the best summer camp I've ever been to in my life. I never went to a summer camp. I wish they were all like this. We made a movie and it wasn't just making a movie. It was a movie where we remade a movie that we made many years ago because the premise of Clerks 3 is that they essentially make clerks. So we were reframing the same shots that we had shot 28 years ago. It was just a blast, man. And now, you know, is it gonna win awards? No, is it gonna make huge box office? No, but it makes me happy. That means it's probably gonna make a small cross section of people who are still into my nonsense happy as well. And that's good enough for me. I, I've written a bunch of books and whenever I come up with an idea for a book and I'm pitching it to the publisher, I always think all we have to do is find 10,000 people that agree with me. Yeah. Yes. You know? And if we do that, everyone's going to walk away happy from this. That's the way to think about it, man. Because yeah. if you have to think about it from like a different perspective of like, you have to entrance the world. <laughs> like when I was a kid in 1994, Clerks could entrance the world because there weren't a lot of choices. Can you imagine the neo-filmmaker entering the field right now who has to try to entrance the world and just get through the, the depth of content to have their thing even be noticed in a sea of original material? Like, I would not happen today. I was a product of my era. Thank God I happened in the 90s because mm -hmm. if I made Clerks today, you never would have heard about me. Nobody ever would have. Like, nope. I'd be lucky if I could put together a thousand people. They tell you, if you can get a thousand people uh, a month to like, you know, be a, a, your fan or, or buy whatever it is you're selling, quit your job, that is now your job. And the notion of like, if we could just get 10,000 people to buy this is like a mountain one can climb. Because if you think the other way of like, we got to get everybody. You would nobody would ever do anything. Nope. It's too daunting. But when you put it through that prism, it's a brilliant way to break it down to be like, you know, it's a number and it's a it's an impressive number, but it's not undoable. And nope. that's and that's how the adventure begins. Life lesson number two: eat your vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Good lord, absolutely. Something I never did. I've always been able to maintain like it wasn't talent that got me here. It was luck and timing. The only talent was actually making a thing that could be seen that luck and timing could affect. That I give the young credit, uh, Kevin Smith credit for, for understanding that like a first step needed to be taken. That kid never understood he had to take a step toward vegetables until he nearly dropped dead. And you know, that's that when, when the doctor told him that like, you have 100% occlusion in the LAD, that's the artery that goes across the front of your heart, 100% uh, blockage. Um, he goes, uh, that means you're having a widow make her heart attack. And I was like, what's that? And he was just like, oh, I do, must I explain it? He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. widow maker is in 80% of the cases when you have 100% blockage, the patient always dies. 
So I'm going to put you in the 20% because I'm good at my job. And he did. He saved my life. And the next day, a nutritionist comes into the hospital room and starts talking about, well, your cholesterol is off the charts, so much so that you're here in the hospital. We should talk about your diet. And I was like, okay. And my kid was there. And my kid had never gone through anything horrible. So my near-death experience was pretty traumatic for her. And so the, the nutritionist was like, you know, we found that a plant-based diet is very effective in cutting cholesterol. And my kid was like, yes, dad, please, please do it. And she'd been a vegan for three years. And so she saw the opportunity. You know, I was scared, man. I almost died. And here was a nutritionist in a hospital telling me like, vegetables will save your life, dummy. So my kid, I know she loves me. So she said all this. She's like, please go vegan. And I said, I will try it. I said, I ate the way I wanted to my whole life. I thought I was so clever. Um, because Clerks was, you know, made my career at age 22, I figured I could eat cake for breakfast for the rest of my life because I was the smartest guy in the room. I said, but I'm going to try it your way. I'm going to try six months. I'm going to try just being vegan and, and give that a shot. And my kid, I know she did it out of love, but she's also very strategic. And as a hardcore vegan, she was like, if I could flip this guy, what a big mouth he has. Like, oh, he'll be a big get for the vegan community. So I did. I, I went vegan. I went plant-based. Everything I eat is, is plant-based. I, I, it'll take a long time for me to get plant-based to the point of like, I'll have some broccoli, please. But everything I eat comes from a, a plant. All right. Next life lesson. Think outside the box. So you make Red State. And I remember uh, meeting you here in Toronto, you brought Red State here, you showed it at a big theater, it's no longer here called the Underground Theater, but you yeah. four-walled it, you took yeah. it around yourself, you did an auction, to, uh, which you bid on yourself and declared yourself the winner for the distribution rights, yes. uh, and, you know, say what you will about that method, it means that you're thinking differently, that you're always looking to the next thing, uh, that to me was the life lesson, think outside the box. We were already kind of existing in a weird space of that movie. At that point, I was like, what if we took this out ourselves? Like, this is what I was going to do with Clerks. I, you know, I didn't think Clerks was going to be picked up. I thought I would have to four wall it, rent like the Atlantic Highlands Twin Cinema and then the Middletown Movie Theater and take it around New Jersey. And I, you know, I'm not going to say I was robbed of that. Like, thankfully, the movie got picked up. But I did miss that opportunity that I had been preparing for. Like, I was ready to four wall the movie. And then uh, since then, you know, I built up a career as standing in front of people and giving Q&As and trying to be funny and stuff. And so over the years, those two things combined where I was like, what if we took a movie out on tour and, you know, I did a Q&A afterwards. That way you're, you could sell the ticket for more. Same money I get from standing there talking by myself, I could get for a movie if I show them a movie beforehand. And so we, we toured the movie our, ourselves. You're listening to Kevin Smith on The Richard Krause Show. Clark, a documentary about his life and work, is on VOD right now. For me, it was like this incredible experience. Financially, yes, it's great. Like people, I've seen people dismiss me online going like, oh, he just figured out a way to charge $65 for a movie ticket. That's brilliant. And I'm like, well, I think it is. It really worked <laughs> out for me. But it allows me the freedom to make the kind of stuff I want to make. I don't have to make something where I'm like, well, this has to work for everybody because I can make a thing that is like, this just has to work for these people, those 10,000 people. Yep. And I'll take it right to them and they'll be so happy to have it, man. It will feel incredible. That tour was one of the greatest experiences I ever had in my life. Touring Jay and Silent Bob reboot, like every night, it was like going to church 
where I was both the priest and Jesus at the same time, man. Like just being celebrated and the celebrant. All right. So that's some of the stuff that I learned from Clerk. Uh, and there's other stuff too. What I want to know, though, is what you learned from watching this movie, because you're in an unusual situation. Not many of us get to sit back and have someone else evaluate your life, put it together scene by scene, uh, and then uh, say, here's the thing. Here's the thing I made about you. Did you learn anything about yourself? I did, and he's going to love this, but uh, Malcolm Ingram is the director of The Clerk, the documentary about my life. Malcolm is a Canadian. I met him at the Toronto Film Festival in 1994 where we were showing Clerks, and he's been one of my best friends ever since. Um, when I had my heart attack, my wife was like, what, what can I do for you? I was like, please bring Malcolm out here, and I convalesced with Malcolm. So he's one of my nearest, dearest friends. He will love hearing this. What I learned from watching Clerk was that Malcolm Ingram is a much better filmmaker than I am. Malcolm Ingram made my favorite Kevin Smith film ever. I've been trying, I've been making Kevin Smith films since 1993. And he made one where I was like, well, that's the best Kevin Smith film yet. And Kevin Smith has nothing to do with it. So what I realized is I probably should have Malcolm make all my movies and stuff. Just tell him the idea and have him run with it. Um, I, uh, I, I also uh, like, I think I walked away going, wow. Like I knew we did a bunch of stuff. Like I'm 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 self-aware enough to know that I spin a lot of plates, but when it was laid out like that, and you know, over the course of nearly two hours, and there was stuff missing, like that's when I was like, Good God, we've done a lot. And that was what Malcolm promised. Malcolm was like, Let me make this movie about your life. And I was like, I don't know, man. When they make documentaries about people, that's when they die, or like, you know, everything falls apart for them or something like that. But we had gone to Sundance and we'd seen a documentary about Richard Linklater and it was lovely. But Malcolm's like, I think I can make a better documentary about you. And I was like, well, we'll never find out. And then a couple <laughs> of years later, he really pitched me hard on it, man. And he was just like, you don't understand who you are. He's like, you're too in it. He's going, but I've been there the whole time and I've been outside. I have perspective on you that you'll never have on yourself because you're too close to it. And he's like, and you're too Catholic because you can't see certain things. Like you undercut yourself at every point. You'll say something and then you put in a disclaimer because you're so worried that you're not worthy. He's like, let me just show you how people see you. And he did, like, it was crazy. I watched the movie and I wept, you know? I mean, that's not saying much, I cry a lot, but I cried, man, because I was like, that kid, I felt so happy for the kid in the movie. I was like, oh God, I hope it works out for him. He seems like a nice guy, this Kevin Smith. And Malcolm was able to, to deliver that, man. So yeah, that's what I learned that Malcolm way better at this than me. And for years, we thought it was vice versa. We would sit around at the quick stop and we started noticing these ads for these midnight movies. In the car ride home, you could see this intensity in his eyes. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. I wanna do this. That was Kevin Smith on The Richard Krause Show. He is the subject of a new documentary called Clerk, which is on VOD right now. A big thanks to Kevin Smith and everyone that joined me today. But of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.